Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis. I'm going to make this easy for you tonight. We're going to go in the first book of the Bible, and then in the first book of the New Testament. Genesis chapter 4, and then keep your finger in that place, and then turn to Matthew 24, beginning with verse 37. It used to be that you could always hear pages turning. Nowadays, some people have got their Bibles on their cell phones, or their, uh, you wouldn't have laptops in here, maybe, but on your uh, iPads and whatnot. Anybody got their Bible on a cell phone in here tonight? Am I the only one? Okay, there's a couple over here. All right. But we'll talk about that later. Matthew 24, verses 37, 8, and 9. Matthew records for us here the words of Jesus. He says in verse 37, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand. They had no comprehension until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then in Genesis 4, our text for tonight, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now to Enoch was born Erad, and Erad became the father of Methuhel, and Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of the one was Ada, the name of the other was Zillah. And Ada gave birth to Jabel, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of implements of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Now Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Before Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, he painted a clear picture of what the world would look like at the end of time as it approached. He laid out a clear blueprint that we could understand and we could follow the end of the age. And he told us what we could know when the end was certain. And when the end was near, there were certain characteristics that were to be seen in the world at the time. In the Olivet Discourse that we call Matthew 24, Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. We live in a world of misleading For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened. Boy, that's encouraging. See that you're not frightened. For these things must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. While these verses have a primary interpretation to events that will take place during the tribulation period, 
we'll see things beginning to take place even before Jesus comes for his people in the rapture. I've heard countless sermons, and you probably have too, using this as a text for the rapture. I've not only heard some, I've preached a few in my younger days. But these verses are talking about the time just before his second coming and the tribulation period. And you may wonder what the passage that we read in Genesis has to do with end time prophecy. Well, I'm glad you asked. For the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus said in Matthew 24, will be just like the days of Noah. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the days of Noah like? In Luke 16, Dr. Luke recorded the, uh, Luke 17 rather, Dr. Luke recorded the, the words of Jesus that we found in Matthew 24, and I just want to read those to you. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. For they were eating and drinking, and they were marrying, and they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They were doing all of this, living their lives, right up until the day that Noah went into the ark. And then the flood came, and it destroyed them all. Jesus made a crystal clear comparison between the days we've just read about and how things will be before he returns. And tonight I want to examine what the Bible has to say about the days of Noah. If we take the time to look seriously at the way the world was then and the way the world is now, we see some clear parallels between our world and theirs. Listen, by observing the characteristics that prevailed in Noah's day, we can determine whether or not the days of Noah are here again. Before the service, I was standing in the back and uh, talking with a couple of ladies there, and one of them said, what are you going to preach on tonight? I said, are these the days of Noah? She said, yeah, they are. <laughs> well, she's already got it, but don't go home yet. <laughs> but if these are the days of Noah, if they are, then we need to be ready. We need to understand what the Word of God has to say about it. And th one of the things that is there is Jesus said, when you see these things happen, look up your redemption draweth nigh. There's a preacher in Texas, a fellow by the name of John Hagee. I don't know if some of you know him. Um, he is what, uh, I'm trying to think of what Pastor Jim used. He said he's a Pentabaptist. That's the term he used. He's a Pentabaptist. I like to call him a Bapticostal. <laughs> but he says something that I think, I've heard him say it many times. But it's, it's important for us to understand. One of the things he says in preaching on a subject like this, he says, the Bible tells us to look up. Well, we better pack up because we're going up. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. When these things begin to take place, straighten up. Lift up your head high because your redemption is drawing nigh. So I want to ask you the question, are the days of Noah here again? Well, let's look at the evidence and observe the characteristics of those days and see just where we are on God's prophetic calendar. Notice the following characteristics of Noah's day. Number one, they were characterized by perversion. Cain had a bloodless religion, as we'll see in just a moment. He ignored the plain mandate ordered by God in Genesis in the third chapter. 
You recall what that is? I, I don't need to re, re, refresh your memory with all of that. That's when God made uh, skins of an animal to cover the, the nakedness of Adam and Eve. But in the process of doing that, he had to shed the blood of an animal, an innocent animal. And I'm sure, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I have no doubt in my mind that God explained to Noah how the blood sacrifice needed to be applied. But Cain didn't do that. Cain's sacrifice did not include the shedding of blood, as Abel's did. Cain decided that the product of his own hand, the crops that he grew, were going to be good enough. Cain changed the, the plan that God had. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And Cain didn't have any shedding of blood in his offering, and God rejected it. And he rejected it simply because Cain had come up with his own idea, with something that he made. His attitude and his heart did not follow God and what God had commanded. And this same mentality is in our world today. 2 Timothy 3.5 speaks of a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Do we see that today? I heard just the other day that a great denomination, well, I might as well say it, it's public information, the Methodist Church is considering the ordination of uh, homosexuals. The Episcopal Church has already done that. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Paul said in writing to the Thessalonians, he said, let no man and anyone, no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come what will not come the coming of the Lord Jesus, unless the apostasy, the falling away, comes first. And the man of lawlessness be, re lawlessness be revealed, the son of destruction. And he told Timothy the same thing. Sometime in the latter times, there'll be a falling away of the faith. And then he said to, again to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, for the time will come, and beloved, I believe the time is here now, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. And that's what's happening in this world today. Countless churches, hundreds of churches are closing their doors. Why are they closing their doors? They have no power. They're not seeking God. And folks are not paying any attention to what they're, what they're doing. We're living in the days of widespread apostasy. There's all kinds of self-help books. I remember one that I, I read some time back. Can't think of the author of the, the book, but it came to my mind as I was preparing this message. It's a book called Think and Grow Rich. It didn't work. <laughs> I thought and thought and thought about it, but it didn't work. But that was, what, almost 40 years ago that I read that book, Think and Grow Rich. That was the first of the real self-help books that were on the market today. I don't know how successful that book was. The only one I think that got rich was the guy that wrote the book and sold them. But in any event, we're living in days of apostasy. Many people today think that God is just uh, the man upstairs, uh, the guy in the sky, a force not the living God that we know.
And sadly, that same idea prevails in many churches today, and they're dying. What's even more sad is that many, many people follow that social psychological gospel line and sinker, even in our own churches. So not only was there perversion, but those days were characterized by prosperity. They must have thought and grown rich. Jabel, we've read about, was the first one to practice the domestication of animals. Now, no longer men had to hunt and scrounge for their food. They merely raised it. This allowed people to have more than they needed. And it was a time of material prosperity. And Jabel cornered the market on that. In spite of the decline in industry in this country, we're still enjoying an unprecedented prosperity here in America. The median income for a family of four, according to the last census, is $62,732. I didn't get my share, but we're only a family of two, so. But that's, that's a pretty high standard of living. In fact, if you go to places like Walmart and the other Stuff Mart malls, uh, you wonder if anybody works anymore. They're all out shopping and spending money. Of course, many of them are spending your money, uh, thanks to the government. These are days when most people have more than enough. Then those days were characterized by pleasure. Jubal invented musical instruments, and according to Josephus, the first century historian, Jewish historian, Josephus said that Jubal exercised himself in music and invented the psaltery and the harp. He was the father of the entertainment industry, if you will. There's no denying the fact that we live in a pleasure-mad world. Billions of dollars are spent every year in the music industry and other forms of entertainment, like sports, movies, hobbies. I never cease to be amazed at these multi-million dollar contracts that go to people who are playing football and baseball and basketball. Um, I'd rather some of that money, somebody said a while back, instead of going to somebody with a football helmet, they went to a soldier with a helmet. But the fact is that we live in a pleasure-mad world. When a lot of us were growing up, I don't know about you, but to us, entertainment was two pieces of wood nailed together to make a gun. Now, if you take a Pop-Tart and you eat it so that it looks like a gun, you can get expelled from school, which happened not too long ago. But that was entertainment. I can remember running through the streets and, and the, the fields and whatnot, playing cowboys and Indians with little handmade guns. Or it was a fishing pole in a day at the creek. Or just catching June bugs. Remember catching lightning bugs? You put them in a little jar and all that. We could, we could entertain ourselves all night long with that, right? Today, kids have got to have Nintendo, PlayStation, Game Boys, computers, CD players, MP3 players, DVD players, Xboxes, ad nauseum. We're a pleasure-mad society. But then those days were also characterized by progress. A man named Tubal Cain, we read about, he learned how to extract metal from ore and he invented the smelting process. This allowed men to produce stronger farm implements and far more formidable armaments. Verse 17 talks about the rise of cities. In the days preceding the flood, they were marked by scientific and engineering advancements. Take the ark, for example. The plans for the ark were handed down by God. But who built the boat? Men built the boat. Noah and his sons built the boat. 
That kind of achievement, I believe, required a tremendous amount of technological know-how. That was quite a feat to be able to build that boat. Some people believe that the people who existed before the flood were even more advanced than we are today, but scripture doesn't talk about that, so those of you who have heard me teach and preach before know that if scripture doesn't talk about it, I'm not going to talk about it. There are many advancements and inventions that could be mentioned, and they clearly reveal how we're progressing in scientific and engineering fields as well as in every other arena of our human life. I can remember the telephone. I'm old enough now, and some of you younger folks have probably never seen this unless it's on television. I'm old enough that I remember the phone that you had on the wall and a wooden box, and you picked the receiver up, and you had that, and the speaker was down here, and you turned a crank. It's called a magnetophone. You turned it twice, and they would answer the phone, and back in those days, you'd ask for long distance, please. Well, the operator would get long distance. I was allowed to do that when I was real little. But today, we have phones that, well, I've got one right here on my hip. I can call anywhere in the world instantly, and I don't have to go through an operator. I've got one of these worldwide phones. Not only is it a phone, but it's got something on there called Facebook. <laughs> Don't you laugh, I follow Facebook closely. <laughs> this whole row down here, second row is here because of Facebook. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about you, Kathy. <laughs> she posted on there at noontime today, I can't wait to hear Don Hawley preach at Miles Road Baptist Church at six o'clock. So half of my friends came. <laughs> They're on Facebook. But that's not enough. I've got, I've got 14 different Bible translations on here. I've got nine commentaries on here. And if I got discouraged or I was fearful or worried about something, I could just go in there and pick out that Bible verses for this occasion. And it's got it all right there. Is that technological advancement? It certainly is. Advancements in the medical field. We were discussing at lunch today, transplant surgery. Your heart doesn't work, get a new one. There's a process to it. You gotta go through open heart surgery, but if your lungs are depleted because of uh, lung cancer or whatever, there are transplants available for that. It's beyond belief. But one of the greatest events in science that I think in recent years was the Voyager 2 mission to the planet Saturn. And that little craft was loaded down with all kinds of delicate scientific instruments, such as radio receivers, cameras, cosmic ray detectors. It could measure uh, ultraviolet, infrared, visible light. I don't know if it could in detect invisible light, but it could detect electronic and magnetic fields. Listen, this little thing, I don't know how big it was, but it's not too large. It left Earth headed for Saturn traveling at 54,000 miles an hour. Now that's 20 times the speed of a bullet if you're counting. 54,000 miles an hour across space for four years at 54,000 miles an hour and one and a quarter billion miles. And when that craft arrived 
at its destination on Saturn. Remember that it was traveling at 45,000 miles an hour for four years for 1,250,000,000 miles. It was only 41 miles off target, and it was three seconds late. Now, is that technological advancement? I think it's safe to say we're living in a time of unprecedented human advancement. So if you look at those days, you might be led to believe that humanity was doing quite well in the days of Noah. It certainly is doing well in these days. Do you see the comparison? Do you see the parallel? But they were prosperous. They were developing a complex culture, complete with great cities and art, the ability to sustain life. They were advancing in fields of agriculture and metallurgy, art, music, science. Yet for all of their achievements, all of their advancements, they did not know God. Does that sound familiar? For all of our advancements, the world in general, and America in particular, does not know God. Our society is advancing at an alarming rate, but mankind's chosen a path that's going to lead him further and further away from God. So not only were the days of Noah characterized by perversion and prosperity, pleasure, and progress, one more thing that also characterizes our world today, those days were characterized by polygamy. In Genesis 4.23, we, we met a man named Lamech. He was the fifth grandson of Cain. He was the father of Jabel, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain that we've just talked about. We're told that he married two women. And he did it at the same time. One woman at a time is enough. Ladies, one man at a time is enough, too. But he married two women. And he's the first person in the record of humanity who took clear steps to undermine the home and the family. God set the standard in Genesis chapter 2. And Lamech was the first to pervert it. It was a time marked by lust, wanton disregard for God's will, open sin, and perversion. Sound familiar? Sadly, Lamech wouldn't be the last. We're told that there was an intermingling that produced a generation of men called giants. They were men of renown. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and even afterwards. But basically, what you had in those days was a generation of demon-possessed men that dominated society for their own pleasure and profit. Today, we call them the United States government. Yeah, I said it. It sounds like today, you know it does. You know it does. And I, for one, am tired of pussyfooting around it all and, not, and just not saying anything. Don't offend anybody. But I'm offended. We live in that kind of a generation. The traditional family is being challenged by homosexuality, lesbianism. Even as we speak tonight, the Supreme Court of the United States is considering whether or not to allow homosexuals and lesbians to marry each other. And God calls that an abomination. Cohabitation, living together, is becoming the order of the day. And then those days were also characterized by pride. Lamech declared his value to be far greater than his ancestor Cain. He set himself up as the be-all, the end-all. He was the first real humanist. Today, what do we see with humanism? Um, secular humanism, 
It even has a name today. And Lamech was the first of those. He saw himself as number one, me. Me, myself, and I. His name means powerful, and he lived as if all power resided in him. Now, if you look at the name of Cain's offsprings, in verses 17 and 18, you'll notice that some of them include the suffix L, E-L. Many of you know that that's a name for God, basically referring to him as a God of creation or God in a general sense. El Shaddai, for example, is the God of the mountain. El Elyon is God Almighty. And then you come to the name Mahuel. This name literally means blot out that Yahweh is God. In other words, they paid God lip service for a while, but the day came when they wanted God out of their lives. They wanted to live as though God did not exist. So often when I hear politicians and others use the name of God, I realize that the days of Noah are, in fact, here. They want to pay him lip service, but they don't want, to, they don't want him involved in all their lives or any of their affairs. I remember not too long ago, several months ago, hearing the Vice President, Joe Biden, giving a speech. I'm sure that he didn't write all of the speech. Somebody else wrote it for him, but he said in that speech that he found one of the great Bible verses that gave him great comfort in the book of Job. <laughs> well, I don't think he read much of it. <laughs> but if there was ever a day that men did that which they thought was right in their own eyes, it's the day in which we're living. Men have no regard for the word of God. They don't fear God. They live as they want to live without any thought of heaven or hell. The battle cry of this hour is, don't tell me how to live my life. I'm going to do as I please, and I'm going to answer to no one. People refuse to bow to the authority of God or his word. They walk in the pride of life, and there's no fear of God before them. And then those days were characterized by pollution, finally. And I think there were three kinds of pollution. First was the social pollution. The moral and social climate of the day uh, was revealed in this. And it was a time when men did as they pleased. They had no thought for the welfare of other people, no thought for property of other people. Look at today. Look at Ferguson. How much damage was done in the city of Ferguson? Did anybody give any thought to the, to the property of those people? Look at Baltimore. Same kind of thing. Of course, when men throw off God and his restraining influence, they're going to degenerate into the depths and depravity of wickedness. And beloved, that's what we're talking about today in America. Listen, a murder is committed every 34 minutes in this country. A woman is sexually assaulted or raped every two minutes in America. And a house is robbed every nine seconds. And things are going to get worse. They're not going to get better. We have a generation that's grown up, that's been told that there is no God, there's no heaven, there's no hell. And if there is no God, there's no standard of right and wrong. If there is no God, then man is the product of random choice, which is what they're taught in schools, in evolution, and he can do as he pleases. And then there was sexual pollution. It was a time of unequal yokes in marriage and a tolerance of evil and wicked lifestyles. In fact, the bloodline of humanity, the Bible tells us, became so perverted and polluted that Noah, and only Noah, was considered pure in all of his generation. 
chastity and morality has gone the way of the horse and buggy. It's no longer something that is to be regarded in good things. Sex is no longer reserved for the marriage relationship. Virginity is no longer seen as a precious gift to be cherished and preserved for one's life mate. Listen, young people, let me tell you, don't give that away. It's not tonight's message, but you hang on to that. That's a gift for your life's mate. Don't give it away. Look at our society today. We can tell that we're obsessed with sex. If you read almost anything on the internet today, there's ads and pictures of all kinds of perversion. I remember when we first got a computer in our home, I was terrified of it. I thought the thing was going to blow up during the night. The guy that set it up had it doing all kinds of things and was making noises and grunts and groans. Oh, it did settle down, and I thought, well, yeah, I want to find out what it does. And you young people probably wouldn't remember this because this was 30 years ago. But I remember, I'm going to try to get it right, you had to do http colon backslash backslash dot www dot and whatever the website that you wanted was. And I thought, I'd never done that before. I'm going to try that. And I got on the internet and the thing began to talk. And beep, 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 all these little things. And I typed in White House. Got to be the White House. They got to have a website. And I put, I knew what the websites were, dot com. So I did whitehouse.com. Some of you have been to whitehouse.com and you know what it is. It's a pornography site. <laughs> I didn't know you had to have whitehouse.gov. Right? So the first thing that I ever looked at on the internet was porno. <laughs> Beach remembers that. She's laughing. Boy, did I get that off in a hurry. And I said, this is no good. But we live in a day when sex is rampant. Smut that used to be hidden away in the darkness is now flaunted on billboards, televisions, movie screens. And it's just incredible. And finally, there was spiritual pollution. Verse 12 tells us that man had corrupted his way on the earth. Men had turned from the worship of the true and living God to embrace the occult. They shunned the truth of the word of God. And that's true in our society today. Demonic religion, Satanism, penetrated our culture to frightening levels. But what else should we expect? Man is a religious creature. God created man in his image. We are a spiritual, religious uh, being. And if we don't have the Lord God as the center of it, we're going to find something else to worship. And Satan is too ready to fill that void. So man is rebellious, and he'll worship something. When God's removed from a culture as he is from this one, there's nothing but trouble from that. So it's much the same way today in this world, which for the most part has turned its back on God, sets the moral and spiritual tone of our society. They lay lip service to the Lord and deny him the love and devotion and worship he deserves. So in conclusion... I want to ask the question that I asked at the beginning. Have the days of Noah arrived again? I think they have. I think you know that they have. And I, don't, I get the feeling that if we were to get into a time machine and go back in time, 
to Noah's day, we might recognize it. It's pretty much like our own. Now, I don't want to close this message on a negative note, no? Even in that dark day, God still had his man, and he was still working in a big way. He was still moving in grace to redeem the lost in a world that he is just like in this one. He's still moving. God is still working to bring things to a conclusion that honors him in this day. There's a lot that must happen before the return of the Lord. Jesus himself explains the events leading to his return. He says there's a whole series of things that's going to take place. Wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes. And then he called all of those things the beginning of sorrows. He says they're going to deliver you up to be afflicted and so forth. And then he says, and after all of that, the end, then the end shall come. And he explained those things that were to take place. But you see, when Jesus said, all of these things begin to pass, we should look up. You've got to remember that he's referring to those who would be alive during the tribulation. And we're not there yet. All of what we've talked about is during the tribulation. Now, the point is that the rapture is going to take place at least seven years before the tribulation, and maybe a little bit longer. Let me suggest to you that before he comes in power and glory to establish his kingdom on earth, he's first going to come to the, in the clouds to receive us to himself. This world, beloved, is ripe for judgment. If that's true, then it's about time for us to take the trip to glory. And if I were you, if you're here tonight, young person, old person, teenager, or if you're like me, decrepit, and you're not sure you're saved, if I could ask you the question, do you know tonight without any question in your mind that if you died right now, that you'd be in heaven? If you can't say yes to that, with everything that's taking place, I would rush down here to talk to one of the men that'll be here at the front and make it sure and steadfast for tonight. But on the other hand, if you're here and you are a Christian, what are you going to do about the fact that we're in the last days? Do you have loved ones that are unsaved? Do you have neighbors that are unsaved? Do you have friends that are unsaved? The rapture's going to take place soon. And when we go, the Holy Spirit's going to go with us. There'll be people saved during the tribulation, but most of them are going to believe a lie. There'll be countless hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people that are saved, but they're going to have to keep their own salvation. I won't get into this time for another message. But the point is that we need to be busy about the things of God. He's coming, ready or not. And we're going, ready or not. As Pastor Jim would say, heads are bowed and eyes are closed.